You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 3, today we are in Pontivy. It's always, uh, let's say, nervous and uh, crazy with uh, all the starts of the Grand Tour, especially uh, with uh, parkours like this. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, we came through and uh, again uh, today the same, uh, the same goal, uh, just to, to, to still uh, be there and uh, don't lose it. Is this crazier for you than the last openings to the tours that you've done? Is this the craziest one? Or Probably yes. I was really thinking. Uh, I never uh, really start uh, the grand tours like that. Or normally they start with the prologues or time trials, uh, or uh, yeah, let's say more easy bunch sprint stages. But uh, with uh, yeah, starting like this was uh, quite a challenge, uh, especially because uh, I was out uh, with no races for uh, quite a while. And uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, quite interesting then to, to come and uh, start like this. Well, that was Primoz Roglic talking to Kate Wagner, who's sitting beside me here um, at the uh, in the beautiful town of Josselin. Roglic speaking in, in happier times at the start this morning in Lorient um, because, well, a very, very dramatic day. Lots of crashes, lots to pick over tonight. But Kate, you got your long-awaited interview with Primoz Roglic this morning. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to talk about now, knowing what happened later. No spoilers, but... Uh, not great for him. Yeah, it's funny spending so much time writing and thinking and talking about Roglic and, you know, having chats over Zoom and email and whatnot and seeing him in real life. It's like it's kind of normal, actually. Uh, We were quite chuffed to see each other, I think, and uh, it was the happiest part of the day. He was in a good mood today, actually. I think it was the happiest part of the day for him as well. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, we're here with Francois Thomas as well. Hello, Hello, Francois. Hi there. Francois, we are in the... Well, if there was sun, we'd be in the shadow of the castle. There is mm-hmm. no sun. It's quite chilly. But we're by a beautiful river in Josselin with the castle uh, right beside us here. And and the race actually came through here today. Mm-hmm. It's a canal as, as well. Oh, so yeah, I do apologize. Yeah, but never mind. Yeah, no, it's it's a nice... Yeah, the Josselin is a very pretty little town with a huge and impressive castle. Actually, looking at the history of the castle, it, no, nobody knows really who, why... Uh, and it was built. It was built around the 13th century, and then later in the 15th and 16th century, became a kind of Renaissance castle. But in the first place, it was actually it was actually built around a chapel, and in that chapel was a pilgrimage uh, at the time at Notre Dame des Ronciers was called. And and apparently the, the 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 people who were going to that pilgrimage were were you know going into a trance and and were uttering all cries like some of the writers probably did today, and they were called the Barkers of Josselin. So you know quite a place will we fall into a trance during the recording of tonight's podcast it's it's very possible although maybe not actually because you know i was um we've had a, two very dramatic days on the tour kate it's your first tour de france and i was telling you wasn't i that today was going to be a boring day that not a lot was going to happen today finally we would get a sprint stage and it would be all about a bunch of sprint and hopefully there wouldn't be too much uh, drama and uh, we were kind of craving a bit of a, a boring day but it was not a boring day and this often does happen on the tour where 
you know, you think that um, it could be a pretty straightforward routine day, and it, it, it definitely isn't, and it definitely wasn't, and it it was not an uncontroversial day either. We're going to hear from a few riders in tonight's episode, including maybe one or two of our audio diarists. But the tale of the tap, well, we began in Lorient, in the in the far west of France, obviously. Uh, Francois explained the irony of that last night. Uh, we went to Pontivy, where I gather David Lapartion was, was born. born. Absolutely. Audrey Cordon Rigaud is from there as well, and uh, she featured in today's episode of Kilometre Zero, all about Brittany, um, telling us what to do in Pontivy. We were actually, in the end, a bit too busy to do any of, of those things, but never mind. 182.9 kilometres. Can we just call it 183 kilometres, do you think? Let's round it up. 183 kilometres. Break went early. Uh, Yeli Walais from uh, Kofidis, Mikhail Shar from AG2R Citroen, Edith Skelling for the third day in a row up in the breakaway from Bora Hansgrohe, and Maxime Chevalier and Cyril Bart from B&B. Um, they uh, got away early and quickly built uh, a lead. Uh, there was drama at 37 kilometres into the race when there was a crash right at the front of the bunch as the riders went over a speed bump. Geraint Thomas was the first rider down. Didn't get a great view of it, but he came down heavily. Um, Tony Martin came down too from Jumbo Visma and Robert Hessink. And Robert Hessink was out of the race immediately. Very important lieutenant for Primoz Roglic, gone. Um, It looked like Geraint Thomas was going to be out as well. He was on the road for a long, long time, but eventually got back up. He had a dislocated shoulder. The, The race doctor popped his shoulder back in. That makes it sound simple. It was anything but. I spoke to Seb Peaky at the finish who said that he, when he passed him, his face was white and uh, he was obviously in a lot of pain. But he was at 1.2 kilometres behind the race, but he was escorted back by Luke Rowe, Dylan Van Barl and Jonathan Castroviejo. Um, they averaged, according to one stat I saw, 49.6 kilometres uh, for 10 kilometres to chase the bunch because the bunch was not hanging around. I understand Luke Rowe was not a very happy uh, rider at all and was uh, making his unhappiness pretty clear to the commissaire and uh, Thierry Gouvenou. I think he mistakenly thought there was a barrage whereby the, the vehicles are, are held from behind the bunch. That wasn't apparently the case, but they had a very hard chase to get back on, which is kind of surprising. Perhaps the Bunch didn't know that, that Garrett Thomas and his teammates were chasing. Who knows? Just a little update on Luke Rowe. As we were recording, we heard that he had been fined 300 Swiss francs and docked 20 UCI points for assault, intimidation, insults, threats and improper conduct. We understand that was for his behaviour towards the chief commissar and uh, the uh, race director, and uh, it was while he and his teammates were chasing to get Garant Thomas back on. Ida Skelling, who we'll hear from a bit later on, he went for the King of the Mountains points up the Côte de Cadudal, where Alejandro Valverde won in 2008. Lionel Burney reminded me today. One of the classics of uh, Breton cycling. Skelling um, stopped at the roadside and waited for the bunch after collecting the points there he's in the King of the Mountains jersey there's an intermediate sprint um, Caleb Ewan uh, won that from the bunch ahead of Mark Cavendish and Mikhail Morkov and we we fancied that was a little preview of the the finish 
that wasn't to be. And then the final, the, the final sort of half hour of the race was really marred by a series of terrible crashes, tight technical twisting roads. And uh, Laurent Valentin Madouas from uh, Groupama FTG came off uh, one of the first crashes on these narrow roads. And then a kilometre or so later on, Primoz Roglic, who appeared to be shoved by Sonny Colbrelli, again, riding near the front where it's supposedly the safest place, came down heavily, landed on his bottom and... Uh, was pretty banged up and ripped up and uh, had a hard chase um, and never got back on and lost just over a minute on the, the front group, 50-odd seconds to Tade Pogacar, the rider who's his main rival here. Then, with four kilometres to go, with Matai Mohoric on the front of Bahrain Victorious, his teammate Jack Haig was among several fallers on a, a really kind of dangerous-looking narrow bit of road a left-hand turn Haig went down Haig's been riding exceptionally well that's his tour over we came to the the sprint um, it was a small group and when you see a small group like that coming to the the, the line um, you tend to think it's going to be a bit safer Matthew van der Poel yesterday's winner in the yellow jersey did a fantastic job for his Alps and Phoenix, Phoenix team leading it out for a while and then there was a great little train in front of Tim Merlier um, he won the stage, but behind him, Caleb Ewan, just as he was about to pull the trigger, having got himself into a good position, he kind of inexplicably crashed very heavily, brought down Peter Sagan, who never crashes. Sagan was straight back up, but Ewan, who kind of slid sickeningly across the road, has broken his collarbone, and he too is out of the Tour de France. So a day of real carnage. Tim Merlier, um, his win overshadowed, really, because... Second day in a row, Alps and Phoenix, not a World Tour team, but having a fantastic season. Um, they won again with a 1-2, in fact, because Jasper Phillips and his teammate was second. Nasser Buhani was third. Davide Ballerini was fourth. Understand Mark Cavendish didn't sprint because he lost some or broke some spokes in one of the crashes. So he was not involved in the crash, but or not, he didn't come down, but out of contention. Sonny Colbrelli was fifth, Julian Alaphilippe was sixth, and a few of the GC guys made it into that front group. Enric Mass and Richard Carapaz were really the big winners. Wilco Kelderman once again was, was up there. Tade Pogacar lost 26 seconds to that front group, but he's gained over 50 seconds on Primoz Roglic. On GC, still Matthew van der Poel leads Julian Alaphilippe. Richard Carapaz moved up 15th places to th- 15 places to third. Wout van Aert is up to fourth. Wilco Kelderman is fifth. And Pogacar dropped uh, three places to sixth. In the, in the points jersey, it's Julian Alaphilippe. King of the Mountains, Skelling still. Young Riders jersey, Pogacar. Who's winning the team competition? It's Bahrain victorious, despite having lost Jack Haig today. The cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much indeed to Super Sapiens, uh, who are our title sponsor. We're very, very grateful to them for their 
support and a little reminder that we are running a competition with Super Sapiens to win three months worth of Super Sapiens sensors. If you have any kind of cycling goal or, or any kind of life goal that you want, that you think Super Sapiens um, continuous glucose, blood glucose monitoring could help you with, then please send us in uh, an audio clip of less than 60 seconds and uh, there'll be three lucky winners from this Tour de France. Let's hear the first entry in our competition uh, from Richard Hunter. Hi chaps, I'd really love to win the subscription to the Super Sapien system and I'm obviously really interested in this product. I'm a very keen cyclist and I ride many miles every week. This product interests me because I have cystic fibrosis. Apart from my lung issues, CF impacts the pancreas, which as you know, is key when it comes to glucose and blood sugar. My pancreas doesn't work properly. This means that when I eat, the pancreas just tends to sit back and relax rather than releasing insulin straight away. When it eventually wakes up, it floods my body with insulin, causing me to bonk, especially on the bike. This product would really help me monitor when this happens and finally help me come up with a plan on when to fuel rather than just guessing, which is what I've been doing for years. I usually end up taking lots of gels on the ride just to combat the dreaded bonk. So I'd love to know at what point I should refuel in. Anyway, great podcast and I hope to win. Thank you. Well, thank you very much indeed for your entry, Richard, and the best of luck to you. Um, I found listening to that pretty pretty moving, and uh, yeah, I hope you. Uh, well, I hope you're one of our winners. But um, there's still a long way to go in this Tour de France. If you would like to enter our competition, go to thecyclingpodcast.com, and as I say, send us a, a clip of sixty seconds or less, and tell us why and how you would use Super Sapiens. And thank you very much once again to them. Well, chaps, and uh, you've given me permission, Kate, to call you a ch- chap as well, um, an honorary chap. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, we were preparing for, you know, a, a dissection of the a bunch sprint, the first bunch sprint of this year's tour. Um, not a not a surprising winner in the end because he's been one of the one of the best sprinters of the year and perhaps on his way to kind of the kind of quick step for next season to Merlier. But the crashes were really the story of the day, weren't they? Yeah, well, you, you you know one of the, the one one of the team managers, the most outspoken team managers, the guy the guy who cries and screams and shouts, are the the the, the one and only Mark Madio. I I think he, he made he kind of summed up in an emotional way, uh, probably the, the the impression some of the riders and some of the spectators had at the, at the finish. He he was interviewed by French TV as soon as the uh, the race ended, and he said. I'm a family man. I have a son, and after we, what we saw today, I wouldn't want him to become a professional rider. And he said, "We really need to change something." He didn't accuse anybody. He didn't say it's the UCI, the organizers, the roads, or the riders. But something must be changed because he said, "If we go on like this, one day that there'll be, you know, a dead man, and I don't want to be the manager of a team who has to announce to, you know, uh, his wife that uh, you know, without, well, a, a little bit over the top from Madio, but in a way." We can understand at the end of such a dramatic day how well, pissed off. Arno Demar was his sprinter was involved in a crash as well. Guys involved in a crash. So I don't know what you think. I mean, we know that at every start of the tour, Jonathan Waters, who is a little bit less uh, <laughs> emotional than Marc Madio, tweeted that it was in a way. Uh, the Tour de France was kind of back to normal because that's what you see, unfortunately that's what you see in the in the first couple of stages in the Tour de France. I asked Roger Kluger about this at the finish, um, and he, you know he, his teammate Caleb Ewan had just come down, and and he he was adamant. That some riders have been pretty outspoken already on social media about 
the dangerousness of today's stage. Our audio diarist, who we may well hear from tonight, was waiting uh, for his dispatch. Tim de Klerk uh, told Sports that the riders had requested that the stage, uh, the time be taken at eight kilometres to go, and that request was. Uh, was not granted that would set a, a strange precedent i think i mean it's a really difficult one if you actually if we actually look at the crashes the, the bad crashes gary and thomas's crash was not caused by the course being dangerous primo's roglic's crash was not i don't think caused by the course being dangerous um you could argue that certainly jack Hague's crash was this this one this one yeah, was in yeah. a uh, uh, you know, having such narrow roads, such twisting narrow roads towards the end of what was a sprint stage, was dangerous. It's always in in bike racing. Um, it's it's a dangerous sport, and and it's the it's it's the riders who make it dangerous too, not just the roads. Um, you know, the ASO have have set this precedent for themselves, whereby you know they are apparently. Um, seeking out the 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 fan, the, the female um, fan who caused this crash on day one by holding out her the banner for her grandparents, she is facing potentially a one year prison sentence and a and a huge fine. And I just think, are they going to sue themselves for the crash involving Jack Hay? Because they, you could argue that they were culpable for that. Sonny Cobrelli, you could argue, was culpable in the Primoz Roglic crash. The the crash involving Garrett Thomas seemed to be a speed bump that yeah. caught them unawares. Um, so it, it's really difficult, you know. If you, I think overall the 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 finale today was really dangerous, and the the finish was dangerous too. But again, Caleb Ewan's crash was not caused by the course. It was a it looked like a rider error. Yeah, hopefully we won't get into legal implications too much. On, on you know, we we we're not going in you know, to follow that 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 lead that sometimes we would get into. I, I know that Thierry Gouvenou, the, the the guy who's in charge of the course, and you know, the the, the sports director. Uh, remember last year uh, in stage one uh, when when Thibaut Pinot crashed and there were lots of crash the the slippery roads around, uh, on the, and in Nice. The, the the teams these days always seem to want to neutralize the 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 the, the finish or, or to have a, a Real, real safe um, race. I'm not, you know, I'm not kind of an old school tough guy. You know, but but sometimes Thierry Gouvenou sounds like this, like, well, you know, in my day. But once again, the the, the ad- adaptation to the terrain is is part of the of the. Uh, that, that's what the sport is about. These guys have scouts in in there in every team that you know uh, checking the, the the course, checking every stage, se- checking the terrain. Uh, they, they have briefings at, in, in the morning. They know what to expect, and in a way, I, I'm not. I'm, of course, we we all feel miserable when you so we see these crashes and guys out of, of contention so early in the race. But once again, um, th- th- this is an outdoor sport. Th- this is France. This is Brittany. This is the ro- roads you, you you get, and you have to adapt to that. It's unfortunate. I think it's an interesting question, especially in terms of neutralization. Which, if you think about neutralization as kind of like a workplace action. It's kind of an interesting uh, scenario where it's kind of the cycling equivalent to like, I guess, in union speak, like a workplace slowdown, which is a kind of an act of like last year. Remember on stage one of the Tour de France where Tony Martin with his arms spread wide neutralized the race. That was a very provocative thing to do. I mean, it was basically going against the wishes, essentially, of the race organizers, and it was basically all these guys acting together collectively, kind of almost as workers, putting a stop to what they thought was a dangerous situation. 
And they saw in that moment, I think part of the reason we owe this outspokenness to these, th- what happened last year, not only in the uh, tour, but in the Jiro where there was a strike and in the Vuelta where there was another strike, is that they've gotten a lot more outspoken now because they realize that like they actually have some kind of power collectively. And so this comes with the territory. They've kind of become their own activists, which I think ultimately is like a, a good thing that can inspire change. But again, at the end of a race, like emotions are high. I mean, Stefan Kreuzweig had some t- words to mince with the commissaires, and no wonder it's his teammate and team leader who's down. I think that, you know, when these decisions are made collectively, like that neutralization was, then I think that they can be very powerful gestures. But if the, if the riders are fractured in opinion on what should happen then nothing is going to get done and it just ends up this kind of emotional brouhaha. So it really is kind of an all or nothing thing. Uh, So we'll see how this happens. You know, things can happen overnight. Like there can be a protest tomorrow, like you never know. But I think it's generally points to uh, sort of an activist turn in the Peloton, which the likes of which we haven't seen probably for decades. Hmm. It's great if the if the riders, you know, get more outspoken. I mean, I've been I've been you know pleading for that to happen for for years and years. This is the only sport in which the, the you know the actors are are you know in tennis we know that they took over you know in the in the seventies the, the in soccer the the players unions are pretty strong in the American sport the NBA the NHL. I mean, all, all the NFL, you know, uh, the actors of the game took over, and and the writers are doing this more and more. That's fine, you know. But once again, what can you do uh, against the terror? And you go to Brittany, you know, the you know the kind of roads you're going to, because if if we if we end up doing that, all. All the finalists, the, the finalists of the stages will be the same, you know, like like big straight uh, roads in uh, industrial zones. I, I mean, the the, the the flavor of the of of the, of the of the race is, is at stake as well. Like I say, if you if you analyze each crash, in some cases you could say the the terrain was 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 at fault. Um, you know that that it was perhaps, and I think it was a dangerous finale. But a lot of the crashes today were not caused by the course being dangerous. And so any kind of protest is, is you know, we're talking about riders speaking out and, and having power and to, to effect change, but but to change what? I mean, yeah. I think the riders are also very conscious of, of public criticism too. You know, after a day like today, they have public sympathy on, on their side, of course. But at the Giro last year, let's not forget the, the stage where they... they staged a, a kind of protest and refused to ride the first bit in terrible weather that really backfired quite badly on them in, in, in the court of public opinion yeah. people were not sympathetic and I, I also had, I also remember Thierry Gouvenou once we were discussing the same issue with uh, Gouvenou and he was saying well if they think you know they, they, they know the terrain pretty soon when, once we announce the, the, the parkour they, they should sue us then you know because when they I mean they, they pretty quickly know uh, check the, the 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 if there's something they they they, they feel is, is dangerous they should tell they should tell it much you know earlier this way we can act before it happens you know it's interesting to me because another thing that was brought up this morning when I was in the mix zone I talked to uh, I didn't talk to you but I listened to Andrew Hood talk to uh, Mikhail Kwiatkowski who said who made a really interesting point and he said that like. This is why a prologue is a useful thing to have in the tour because it sets. It's almost like qual- he's compared it to qualifying in in uh, Formula One, where it sets like a clear leader early on, and 
that makes things a little bit easier going in because there's not the competition for the, the yellow jersey. Yeah, sure, but, but at the same time, you know, do you want every first stage to be won by a time trialist? Yeah, but then again, if you have a prologue, you have a boring first week because, uh, you know, the, 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 the yellow jersey stays with the same team. You have a couple of uh, easy sprints and there's no action. I mean, I, I don't want to, 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 to sound, you know, but if you in terms of drama intensity of action the first three days in Brittany with Alaphilippe winning on the on the first day Mathieu van der Poel avenging Poulidor's curse and 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 unfortunately what we, what we saw t- today in terms of you know the, the drama of the race you, you wouldn't have this with a prologue with a guy uh, you know leading the way until the next time trial or until the mountains I mean we, we've been I've covered the tour in the 1980s it was it was 10 days, 15 days sometimes of boring flat stages. Which L- long launches yeah. of Francois. That's right, yeah. Jean-Paul, with Jean-Paul Van Poppel winning, yeah. <laughs> winning endlessly, you know, or, or, Mar- or, or Cipollini. And, and, and all of a sudden, the action would start at the, at the start K- of the Kate hasn't, Kate hasn't got to that period yet. <laughs> get, 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 give her a chance. Um, I think it's funny. It's been interesting for me to sort of see it through your eyes a bit today, Kate, because it's your first tour and we have seen a lot of bloodied and... Uh, you know, battered riders, Tony Martin, the the image of him crossing the line today, having obviously fallen very heavily on day one, and then again today, looking like a sort of a fighter who'd gone, a bare-knuckle fighter who'd gone 15 rounds with the world champion. He looked he looked sort of, he had the thousand-yard stare. Um, you can't help but be sort of moved by that. I think you've been very moved by the sight of riders in so much pain um and i don't i don't know if we're inured to it as you uh, as you said but um you certainly what one thing that is uh, that, that does become apparent on the tour is that you move on really quickly so we had that terrible day of carnage on on saturday but nobody was talking about that yesterday we were talking about matthew van der poel and tomorrow we'll be talking about something else we move on and we talk we, you know and, and this is one of the things that makes cycling a brilliant sport to um to write about and to revisit because you move on so quickly that a lot of stories kind of get left behind. But in a in a rarely prescient move for me this morning, I, I was interested in this business of crashes because modern crashes seem to take out more riders. And I don't know if that's because they're going faster, whether they're riding closer together or what it is. And I, I spoke to Chris Yule Jensen of Team Bike Exchange about it this morning. And well, I thought what he said was quite interesting on this subject. So far, have you did you manage to avoid the the the, the cra- crashes on stage one? Yeah, I have uh, up until now. I mean, pretty horrible big crashes, especially the second one looked real bad. So yeah, it was just a classic day one of the tour, really. We all sort of expected it, hoped it wouldn't happen, but uh, yeah, it happened twice and. Uh, Today will also be very hectic, especially the finish descent until the final 3k could be wet. So it's you know it's it's the tour when it's at its best really, and it's a big it's, it's there's a big difference between doing, now I've done the Giro earlier this year and doing a tour. I mean the stress factor is actually you know it's it's so obvious. It's just an example of why this race is the biggest race there is. Is that a factor in in the, the crashes involving so many people? This is, seems to be a relative new feature. Is that just the speed? Is it the fact that riders are are bunching closer together? I think it's just a combination of many things. I mean, I think the first crash we saw on day one was obviously because of the crowds. So me, it had a, had had a sign that didn't make life easier for us. But in general, there's you know there's just more pressure on the roads. There's more stress on the radio. Luckily, on our team, we go about th- things as if it was any other race. Every rider, every team, they know that this is this is the biggest scene uh, on the cycling calendar. 
and especially in the start everyone's fresh everyone's together last year was actually quite nice we had such a hard start climbing wise because it sort of set the tone very early on that'll take a few days before that happens here and i think everyone's looking forward to that and the crowds and the noise from the crowds maybe you're not as used to that after last year no but and you know personally i'm, I'm happy to well you know it's, it's great to see and hear the crowds back it's unfortunate that one person has to ruin it for everyone else because you know in general people are just happy to, to be out and following a bike race again i think uh, the majority of the peloton feel the same way but that also hasn't has an influence on on the stress and the bunch you know the, the noise and the amount of people on the side of the roads there's, there's not really room to budge science in sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2021 tour de france science in sport fueled by science Thank you very much indeed to Science and Sport for their support of the cycling podcast. If you would like to um, get 25% off all your Science and Sport products, and who wouldn't, go to scienceandsport.com, enter the code SISCP25, SISCP25. Just looking through my messages today from Lionel. get a lot of messages from Lionel, so I have to scroll back quite a bit. Um, Lionel is preparing to come out to the Tour de France next week, and uh, rest assured, listeners, he's paying close attention <laughs> he's certainly watching it very closely indeed um so we ran the first super sunday competition with science and sport yesterday a lot of people um went for matthew van der poel we didn't but a lot of <laughs> a lot of our <laughs> listeners did um and the first correct answer out of lionel's cycling podcast casket was alison timmons alison congratulations you will get 80 pounds worth of science and sport goodies uh, we'll, I think we'll get in touch with you and uh, arrange for delivery. Sunday's competition, uh, that's the stage up to Teen in the Alps, is now open. Predict the winner and be in with a chance of winning. Um, go to thecyclingpodcast.com to, uh, to enter that competition. I should also mention that today we released the first of our 15 episodes of Kilometer Zero during this Tour de France. It's all about Brittany and we hear from David Godou. Connor Swift, who we're going to hear from a bit later on, and Audrey Cordon Rigaud, um, and also Francois Tomaso. Tomorrow's episode is about the Tour de France Fam, the new eight-day stage race that will launch next year, with a bit of a lament for La Course as well. Um, so the big talking points today. Um, I mean, I feel this is one of the unfortunate things we're probably not going to talk about. Tim Merlier and. Alps and Phoenix an awful lot because the tour was sort of set on a different course today we feel I mean Primoz Roglic has released a message tonight that he's okay he's got no broken bones um, he's okay to carry on he thinks Garrett Thomas the same there's just been a, a message come through from Ineos Grenadiers to say that he's had a post-stage scan and x-ray they were clear and he has not suffered a fracture in his right shoulder he will be reassessed in the morning before stage 4 um, I think back to the Giro last year when Garrett Thomas crashed on stage three, also on stage three, and he finished the stage and then didn't start the next day. Let's hope it's not the same. But and you know, in the end today, he he did all right. He didn't lose too much time. He actually moved up two places on GC. He's 18th overall. But the after effects of of suffering a dislocated shoulder are bound to affect him, especially in the time trial in a couple of days which kind of looms and it will affect, I'm sure, Garen Thomas and Primoz Roglic, even if they are okay to carry on. The strange thing about this uh, 
Tour de France, the you know start Grand Depart in Brittany is that uh, already you know it, it's kind of skimmed uh, the field. You know the GC um, contenders. Uh, not, well, <laughs> there, there was lots of talk before the, the start of the Tour de France about the, the four man lead in Ineos. The, the one the one pronged fork. Is yeah, it's well, a chopstick. <laughs> yeah, well now. That, now we've got exactly uh, Richard Carapaz. It, it may it may change again in the course of the Tour. Of course, it's a long race, but it seems now that you know uh, it is third overall, uh, some 30, 31 seconds, I think, behind Mathieu van der Poel. He seems to be now the de facto leader of the, of, of the team. I mean, Geraint Thomas might, might wh whatever happens, uh, you know, is bound to suffer from this dislocated shoulder. Uh, Richie Port lots, lost lots of time. Theo Gaggenhaal is, is out of contention. Well, let's face it. You know, it, it, in the only three days, that that what was one of the big stories of the pre-tour uh, is 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 kind of gone. Uh, and then for Rog, as <laughs> we we might call her, I'm, I I I let uh, you know, I let Kate uh, talk about it because uh, she's the uh, our, she's our Rog correspondent. <laughs> Kate, what can you tell us about Rog? What what you know? What I mean, he is tough. Um, he has crashed before he, he's crashed quite a lot and you know we think that his crash at Dauphiné last year did affect his uh, his his bid to win the tour last year of course we they, they kind of uh, underplayed that at the time but I think the, the documentary that came out just before the before Christmas um, inside Team Humanism really laid bare how much that did affect him and here um, he's going to hurt isn't he and, and that's that's gonna. We were talking last night about he how he and he was following Pogacar everywhere, but he's he's lost time. And in last year, the thing that maybe helped Pogacar win the tour in the end was the fact that he lost time in the crosswind stage. But there's a big difference between losing a minute in a crosswind stage and falling on your bottom and being injured and then carrying those injuries into the next few stages. Definitely don't think he looks great. I was there at the mix zone and I watched him cross the cross the line and. Yeah, it was really hard to see, honestly, uh, after spending so much time writing and thinking about him. And, yeah, he was bloody from the buttocks, bloody from the leg. He had, like, a thousand-yard stare, just like you said. He looked like he got out of the ring with Mike Tyson. Really terrible. Uh, and when I was watching the stage, I mean, his teammates were forming a train to bring him back, and, you know, there were times where he would lose their wheel. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's a hard, hard man, I think, at heart. Uh, he's kind of got nerves of steel and I think that he's going to go as long as he can I mean I think we'll probably know more answers by the end of the time trial but until then I'd say it's up in the air if it really is just a flesh wound like I think you know he'll grit his teeth grit and bear it I mean the parts of him that hurt are not necessarily the parts that he's not like that hurt on like you know his arms and his elbows anything that causes him to fidget in the time trial bike so might be interesting to see. I think that's really the proving ground for a lot of guys who have been injured so far. So it's all resting on that. We often talk about the, the luck of the winner, you know, in the Tour de France, and 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 Tadej Pogacar actually crashed, or at least he was involved in the Drake uh, crash at that turn. But he was quickly back on his on his bike, and 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 th this sometimes sorts, you know, outsorts the the. Well, the future winner from uh, the the other guys, they, 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 you know, some guys don't crash, or or, or when they crash, they, they, you know, it's not, and and it's very difficult to know why. I mean, is it is it because of of 
luck or, or is it because of form or is it because of it's very difficult to tell but i mean it's it's it's, it's a common thing that that you know and and for now the luck of the winner has been uh you know on 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 Pogue's side and not on rock's side it's really unusual to win the tour de france having crashed in the race it's really really unusual i mean chris Froome did it in 2013 having crashed in the neutralized zone of stage one but it's really really unusual and i think i think we're learning more about how crashes affect a rider i mean an extreme example is is lizzie banks and i mentioned the other day um our episode that we released of service course last week where lizzie talks for 50 minutes about the concussion that she suffered at strada bianca and the after effects of that and the the process of trying to recover fully from that um crashes take it out of you we've heard it from from james knox in one of his audio diaries as well um not an easy thing to deal with you know it affects your sleep it affects your recovery it affects your nervous system um and really really hard a real a real given that it's such a um a common occurrence in professional cycling and that it's a, a an ever-present danger and risk um the consequences can be really really severe and yeah it's it's you know we're only three days in which is amazing and there has been this skimming and this I think from a on a sporting um from a sporting point of view, we were really looking forward to this this battle between these two strong individuals, Roglic and Pogacar, against the collective might of, of Ineos Grenadiers and we're we're not we've been deprived of that already. But that's part of the sport and we'll get something else instead. Shall we hear from one of our audio diarists, Connor Swift from Arkea Samsic, whose team leader, Naira Quintana, is riding extremely well. He he often surprises us and maybe it's not a surprise anymore but he he seems to handle himself really well in uh, in technical you know crosswinds and technical finishes and so on and he is currently eighth overall looked good on the Mur de Britannia and uh, well they also had uh, Nasser Buhani up there today Arkea Samsic another crazy stage to start things off obviously the weather was uh, a bit bizarre today we rode through some uh, you know big showers Everyone started the race with pretty much a rain cape in the pocket, and then uh, yeah, we went through through some patches of uh, some big downpours, and then yeah, I'd say things kind of kicked off the the crazy bit of the stage when G hit the deck. You know, with like 144k to go, we was riding by the 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 coastline there, and um, yeah, just to see him on the the ground, middle of the stage, it was just he just puts everyone you know back into that nervous bit of racing mode yeah that wasn't nice to see and obviously i hope he's uh he's all good there even before the race we said in the briefing today uh just because of what happened the day before you know team teams were lined up and block the road was pretty much blocked before the the final lap of the circuit on stage two with uh you know a good 50 60k to go the if you, if you wasn't on the front of your team like uh you know three four rows back you you just couldn't move anywhere so we said in the briefing today that it's probably going to be the same sort of thing uh, that happens today. You know, with the last 20k being super narrow rows, twisty. So we was anticipating that. And yeah, what do you know after the, the intermediate sprint today? Uh, with around 60, 60 odd k, 70 odd k to go uh, straight after that sprint. Teams were there lined up at the front, just as we expected. And yeah, from from then on, it was just uh, crazy, you know, people fighting for position. If you're on the front, then yeah, you're, you're pretty sweet and uh, safe and sound. But 
anyone behind you know you leave the littlest bit of gap or there is a little bit of a gap people are trying to take it you're uh, bouncing off of each other and it's uh just pretty crazy especially if you lose the team your teammates wheel and then yeah going going into the the, the final few k obviously there was a a massive crash we was on tight narrow roads and uh yeah big 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 old crash there with i don't know 10k to go or so and the same thing again with 5k to go um yeah it's it's not great and it's not nice and and then obviously again on the last corner with uh ewan and sagan it's uh awful to see and um just crazy i feel like after riding the tour last year i i, I can't think it was this uh you know this nervous but i think the the weather doesn't help and then obviously just the amount of pressure that teams have um you know there's a lot of people here that have kind of wrote off the gc plans and i'd say there is a lot of sprinters here there's a lot of sprinters here and then obviously the gc teams and everyone just wants to be at the front and uh, there's not enough road for that and we're 184 riders it's a it's a big peloton crashes well they're gonna happen especially on roads like that i mean Imagine if the final today was, was on wet roads, I think it'd have been even worse. Luckily for us, um, well, not luckily, we had Bargill crash and also Dan McClay, them two have lost a bit of skin and it's the second crash that they've had this tour and it's it's not nice to see and hopefully them two are both okay in the morning. Nairo stayed in that front group, uh, luckily, and then NASA finished the stage in third, which um, is obviously nice for us it's good going ahead into the the future sprint stages that he finished third today and we're trying to find that uh, stage win to to finish it off i'd I'd say the peloton does feel a lot more tense uh, and uh, very nervous and yeah teams lining up 60 70k to go (laughs) that just shows you like the the pressure's there and uh, and yeah it's it's pretty crazy in, in the bunch that was Connor Swift. You can hear the first instalment of our collected audio diaries from our four diarists, Victor Campanarts, Connor Swift, Ben O'Connor and Tim DeClerc in uh, Columns of Zero on Wednesday. And then I think Kate's first audio diary, first of three audio diaries, will be coming out on Thursday. Although you're recording a lot of stuff, Kate, so maybe it'll be an extended friend special after the tour. Who knows? Um <laughs> Just keep keep recording. It's all good stuff. Um, but yeah, the the writers um, that I mentioned have been sending in lots of audio every day. And so this will be um, edited down into an audio diary that will come out on Wednesday as one of our Kilometre Zero episodes supported by Super Sapiens. And thanks very much again to them. Thanks as well to Skoda, I should say. I haven't said it yet, but Skoda have once again, I think the fourth year, Given us a car. How's the nest, Francois? The nest is, is fine, actually. Yeah, no, it's fine. Great. Fine. No, it's I mean, I've been in so many fine. nests now, you know. But <laughs> no, this one is okay. I mean, I've got, you know, room for my legs. Uh, we're not, you're not overloaded uh, this year. We, we don't have those, those, we don't have Lionel's bike. Lionel. Lionel. <laughs> Lionel takes up a lot of space, eh? Um, Kate's a bit smaller. But we'll have Lionel, uh, Lionel next week to fit into the car. It's a Skoda Superb. It's huge. The boot is enormous. And it's very. Um, I, I understand it's very fast. I don't. I don't know that obviously, but I. I believe it's very. Fast. By the end of the tour, we might know. But no, <laughs> oh, no, 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 nonsense. But thank you very much to Skoda uh, UK for giving us a car. We're very grateful to them for their support as well. They've been supporters of the cycling podcast for a few years now. Um, well, listen. 
Uh, we've got to move on to <laughs> what you just called the bullshit, Francois. <laughs> it's not the bullshit. It's the it's the cultural stuff. It's the word of the day. It's the song of the day. It's the cultural highlight of the day. What have you got for us today? Well, n- n- no real bullshit, to be honest. I, I, I've got I've got goat's cheese. Oh, uh, I, I like I goat's mean, cheese. If we talk about the cheese of the, well, I I spent three days saying there were no cheese in in Brittany, which is. Kind of true because there's no like appellation, you know, contrôlé like like a, a brand of a breed and uh, of 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 uh, of cheese from there. But a cheese that's gone through the French bureaucratic process. <laughs> if you if you, wish. I mean, well, we we pasteurize them. You you bureaucratize yeah, them. You know, well, you, well you, you have cheddar and it's cheddar. <laughs> I mean, it's cheddar and Stilton are two Don't different cheeses. Okay, so so well, we, we we have the same sort of cheese, but but uh, but uh, we have lots of different names. But uh, but in Britain. They, they, they just have goat cheese or cow. But I'm going to, to to tell you because tomorrow we'll be we'll be going near Rennes and all all those places. And there's an industrial story called uh, Petit Billy. It's actually it's called so Little Billy, but it has nothing to do with the name of the uh, the, the owner of the of the uh, the cheese company. It, it, it started in a place called Billy, and it's in the center of France uh, in Loire Cher. And and they they had this uh, idea uh, in the ni- in the nineteen eighties like like you know they realized what we did what I've been doing for three days that, that there was no cheese in Brittany but there were lots of goats in Brittany so they moved to Brittany to uh, you know to get cheese uh, uh, to get goat's milk and make and make a very light white uh, creamy cheese which is very popular now in supermarkets all around France so that that's the story of 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 Billy and they also. Petit Billy, they also, uh, you know, found out that that, that there was, uh, I guess it's the same everywhere, there, there was a kind of anti-cow cheese uh, propaganda, like, oh, it's, you know, cow cheese is bad for you, it's full of fat, it's full of cholesterol and things, so they, they really put their money on goat's cheese. It's, it's a success, you've clearly found Petit Billy all over France, they've got a website, they've got lots of things, they, they're, 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 you know, really surfing the wave of uh, environment, green foods, uh, all uh, organic and all that stuff. I don't know how, how uh, you know, sincere they're about, I mean, they're a company that have to, to make money, but, but you know, Petit Billy, when you don't know what to, you go to a supermarket in France, you don't know what kind of cheese you, you go into, it's it's kind of a safe bet, it's 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 okay. So, uh, and, and, then, and now, you you know, they're now near near Rennes, uh, settled there, and and they're now make, make it all, also making, uh, you know, uh, different very di- different kind of cheeses. So Petit Billy, kind of an, an industrial um, success story, you know, uh, in Brittany from a, a company that started in the center of France. That was the cheese of the day. I, I guess the word of the day should have been shoot, <laughs> because because yeah, we yeah. We, we, we really meant so, so and. And shoot in fr- in French is funny because shoot means crash. It so also means when you say shoot means sh- like please shut up, like sh- shoot shut up. You know that, that's the. But we'll go. Uh, the, the 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 word we chose for today is Bretagne because we, we've used that word a lot. So, but what is Bretagne? What is Brittany? You know, uh, wh- wh- what is this this place? It's it's very odd because actually you you know what the original Bretagne was. That's the place where the Bretons lived. So originally, it's a place now called Britain. You know that the Breton, <laughs> Breton, uh, and in French we we call Britain Grande Bretagne, and it was actually the original. The original Brittany was Britain, mm. 
and, and, and guys from Wales, you know, crossed in the 5th century because there was a big plague. They crossed over uh, the channel and settled in, was, was, was in what was called before that Armorica, you know. And it, it, it suddenly became Brittany because Bretons, you know, settled there. And, and the funny thing about Britain is that nobody agrees on, on where it starts and when it finishes. Even in France, take Nantes, you know, it's a big town and, and this is where you have the castle of Anne de Bretagne, of Anne of Brittany. So normally it should be in Brittany. But lots of Bretons say, oh no, no, Nantes is not in Brittany. So if you go south, wh where does Bretagne start and where does Bretagne ends nobody knows if you go east and go to normandy it, that there's a kind of an agreement that mont saint michel is the border between normandy and Brittany. but where well there's the, a fight isn't there over of course but where does bretagne start and where does bretagne finishes nobody knows so bretagne as such and Brittany is is a very vague concept you know originally so you you know listeners who live in Britain you're actually actually living in the original Bretagne no and now there's a new Bretagne and nobody knows for sure what it is <laughs> well 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 it does feel yeah it, it does have a different uh vibe to it uh Brittany Bretagne and uh the people here feel themselves to be different don't they as we heard from Audrey Cordon Rago they might not do cheese Francois but they do biscuits and they do butter salted butter and galette and she t did tell us that when we we're in Pontivy today we should have visited the La Biscuiterie Joubar mm -hmm. uh, the, the famous biscuit factory where you can just fill up your bags with biscuits but unfortunately there was rather a lot going on at the finish today um, so it was tricky to do that and that's another thing we, we, we must mention. We, 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 we mentioned this guy before, but today we went through Radenac at kilometer 121, but that was in the, in the, in the heart of the action. Uh, there, were, there, were, there were already been a couple of crashes, and you know, it was you know, f far too, too much action to mention, but we went through the native, the birthplace of Jean Robic, and, and this is the, the area. Old Leatherhead. Of course, yeah, the, and the, the place where we are now, this, this area is Jean Robic. And we, did we not establish that he was actually born in the Ardennes, but he he grew up here? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But but he, he spent his views in Radenac. Correct, uh, his, his, his family, his mother, uh, everybody. Yeah, his family. Uh, yeah, was his family here. was. But he actually he actually grew up uh, there. He, he was born in the Ardennes, and then and then came to. Uh, Back to his uh, family uh, birth, and um, and and so and, and you, you've got an old circuit now uh, of Grand Fondos and and Greenways named after Jean Robic. He, he really is the cycling hero of the uh, of the area. Well, we're going to play out with their song before we we go. Actually, tonight though, it's been a it's been a a, a tough day, um, a really difficult day for lots of riders and teams. But one rider, like a ray of sunshine, not Wilco Kelderman, although. He also is still worthy of a mention because still, he's still there in fifth and he's had a pretty instant free race so far. Is he increasingly your pick, Kate? Yes, just uh, for, if not for banter, then for, uh, well, I mean, okay, so I said previously I talked to Wilco two times, one in the presser and one in uh, on the mix zone, and he was extremely confident both times, very easy, shoulders relaxed, like big, broad voice. He says, uh, I'm confident in my GC, you know, <laughs> like he's like a very, uh, he seems in good spirits. And even, you know, I, he definitely has proven he's third in the Giro. I think, I mean, if, if he can't, I don't necessarily know if he can win it, but I certainly think with this now very thinned out field, let's be really honest here, 
uh, I mean, a podium is certainly within the realm of possibility for him. And his team is still strong. Aside from Sagan, they've had no incidents. Well, the, indeed, last man standing. But the best way to avoid incident is to be up the road. And one rider has been in every breakaway so far, Ida Skelling. We spoke to him at the finish. He seems to be enjoying himself. And obviously, he's uh, in that King of the Mountains jersey still. You look like you're having a lot of fun in this Tour de France. Yeah, well, I am. So uh, you, you saw that, right? Is it? I mean, you get in the breakaway every day. Um, is that? Is that? Are you finding that quite easy to do? Well, it's it's never easy, especially the first two days. It wasn't, but today it was a bit easier. And um, well, I've had some experience in my SEG years, but um, my former team. Um, but still, uh, it's 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 hard, and uh, I'm tired now. But uh, hopefully, the coming three days will be a bit easier for me. I guess it's the safest place to be as well. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, up front of the peloton and in the final, I, uh, I did some work for my teammates in the early final and then I could just drop myself. So that's indeed uh, the most safe spot. And um, I hope everyone is okay or sort of okay because I saw Caleb going into the hospital car. Um, yeah, I'm happy that I could avoid all these crashes. Well, I think uh, the jersey I can keep now till the seventh day because tomorrow there are no uh, KM points, the day after Arsenal and the day after that only one. So I reckon I could keep it for quite a while now. So that's also why I went for it today. If I only would do it for one more day, then I don't think it would be worth my energy. But um, as I can keep it now for another three days, it was worth my energy. And of course, my legs are getting tired now. So we thought we'd finish on a bit of a positive note. Ida Skelling is, at least, he was still smiling at the finish today, even if lots of others weren't. Um, so we limp on to tomorrow. Um, what's the song of the day, Francois? Will that cheer us up as well? Well, I, I don't, I don't know if I, I actually changed the, my, my my song of the day because that there's we'll be going pretty close to Rennes tomorrow, which is the the capital of Britain, you can say, and as a very famous singer from Rennes called Etienne Dao is 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 known in in Britain a bit as well because he he, he hooked up quite a bit with Saint Etienne, uh, famous uh, great band, yeah, great band. Um, and and uh, is very very popular in Rennes and, uh, and and very popular in France and 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 one of his uh, the, don't see any irony in that but one of his uh, uh, greatest hits was called Tombé pour la France meaning you know fallen for France and and I, I see this song as kind of a homage to 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 all the guys who who, who today you know crashed for the Tour de France and so uh, do you want me well I don't have my guitar so I have to do an uh, a cappella rendition of it I'll, I'll do the best we're I can we're open to that okay. we're all ears ok 1, 2, 3 Biba pieds nus sous la lune sans foi ni toi ni fortune je passe mon temps à faire n'importe quoi sur les pistes noir de préférence quand le démon de la danse me prend le corps je fais n'importe quoi tout va bien Sur un jerk électronique, se noue des amours ludiques, bipop la vie c'est n'importe quoi. C'est la fête, c'est psychédélique, me demande pas ce que je fabrique, je te répondrai n'importe quoi. J'en sais rien, d'homme dira, je m'étourris, ça ne suffit pas à me faire oublier que t'es plus là. J'ai gardé cette photo sur moi, ce photomaton que t'aimais pas. Si tu viens, n'attends pas que je sois tombé pour la France. That's it. Oh <laughs> Thank you, Francois. Fam yeah, very famous song. I mean, I mean, you know, you've got lots of synthesizers and drums and stuff in the, in the original version. Look it up on YouTube. You don't need any of that. Thank you very much to you, Francois. Thank you, Kate. Thank you.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.